0: How is this happening where every single bottle from every single producer is having aftermarket value? There's no way that people are consuming that much. It's physically impossible. I mean, a limited edition run back in the day was like 160 bottles, right? Now you've got brands doing a quote unquote limited edition run of 15,000 bottles or 30,000 bottles or whatever it may be. That cannot possibly sustain itself.
1: This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. There was a huge buying frenzy during the pandemic, but now that it's over, where is the secondary market headed? We saw a huge boom, and that bubble, it's starting to deflate just a little bit. For that reason, I've invited Nate Ganna on the show. He originally started as a whiskey-focused Instagram account, and he worked directly with brands that built his influence. But since then, he's involved into a writer, covering the entire spirits industry, and has also begun curating his own sample packs that are out there in the market called Beverage. As the secondary market whiskey continues to skyrocket in the past decade, we've also seen iconic bottles like Pappy Van Winkle become difficult to obtain. Yet right now, they seem poised to just be stalling. So Nate gives his opinion on the state of collecting and what allocated bottles are worth the chase, and where he sees the bottom falling out. With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
2: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Kendrick P., who writes me on fredminnick.com. If we were to have a present-day prohibition what kind of impact would it have on our current economy compared to that of the 1920s and early 1930s? Would all the big brands be able to survive with the amount of whiskey they have invested in the market? Well, first Kendrick, let's take a look at the time frame of the 1920s. As a country, we were very dependent upon alcohol tax for roads, infrastructure, schools, police force, military. We were very dependent upon that because it was one of our only streams of revenue for this country. Now, they applied the personal income tax right around the time of prohibition. So they had just began collecting taxes from individuals or families. Now, the personal income tax, individual income taxes represents, according to the Treasury Department, 55% of the total revenue, or $220 billion. So by comparison, in 2022, alcohol taxes amounted in $10.2 billion. So $10.2 billion versus $220 billion, which is coming from you. Other sources of revenue, which is larger, Than the alcohol taxes. Corporate income taxes are larger. So are Social Security and Medicare taxes. So those are just a few buckets that have really outgrown alcohol taxes. But as a country, we are no longer dependent upon alcohol revenue to keep the lights on, the roads clean, the infrastructure going. But still in the state and city, places like that, they are dependent upon alcohol taxes. That being said, what would happen to the distilleries? I don't know what would happen to them. I think that they have developed so many other types of markets outside of the United States that they would just put their focus on markets where there's not a prohibition. I don't think the world would all go on prohibition. I think there would definitely be a hurt on distilleries, I don't think they would die completely. I think they would still find a way to exist in the form of a hot sauce or a barbecue sauce. Because let's face it, if you take a look at the branding itself and the marketing power that Jack Daniels has, that brand alone you know, has the marketing power of Coca-Cola, of Ford, of Apple, of Starbucks. So and other brands out there like Jim Beam, I'll even throw a lesser one, known one like Larceny. They all have branding power. So I, I, don't think, I don't think they would go away completely. But I don't like thinking about what would happen in the case of another prohibition because I'm more of a preventative of prohibition. And the best way that we can prevent another prohibition is to follow the rule of law <laughs> and to uh, not do dumb shit. So let's just not do dumb shit out there. That's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Great question, though, Kendrick. I really did like that question. That's going to do it for this week. Be safe out there. Oh, and if you want to hit me up for an Above the Char, hit me up on fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. If I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Till next week.
1: Cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel, It's Bourbon Night, bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Just Kenny here today, but getting to talk to somebody that I've known virtually for the past, I would say, at least three to five years. I'm sure we've been on each other's radar, and I've been able to see his rise into what he's done. He's always posting crazy bottles wherever he goes. He's done everything from scotch to bourbon, a single malt, everything in between, I've seen him do everything for, what was it like Aspen's Food and Wine Festival? There's like so many crazy things he's got his hands into. He's got his own sample line that's out there. And I can't wait to just bring this guy on to talk about exactly what he's done and how he really latched into whiskey in general to build an audience and then start building his own businesses out of this. And I think it's going to be a real testament to a lot of people out there that consider themselves, and I hate using the word the influencer route, but there's a lot of people that are on Instagram and you're on TikTok and you're on these different places and you're trying to figure out, well, what do I do with this? I can amass some likes. I can tell people what's good or not. But at the end of the day, that is content and it's time and it's something that you're doing and you've got to figure out like, well, how do I turn this into something that gives me monetary value at the end of the day, because as much as we all love to talk about whiskey and do things, it's like, how do we turn this into a sustainable business? Because a lot of us want to be in the whiskey industry full time. So today on the show, I have Nate Ganna. He is, I said, he's an Instagram person. He's been around forever, single malt daily, but Nate, welcome to the show, man.
0: Man, thank you so much for having me. This is a dream come true, man. I've watched you guys vice versa in the Mutual Admiration Society here. I've seen what you guys have done and you've just blown up and I've always wanted to be on this thing. So to get an opportunity here is is so great. So can't thank you enough for having me.
1: Yeah, I think we tried to get together six months ago, and then it just kind of fell through. And then I was telling him before the show started, I was like, well, we only record twice a year. And it jaw <laughs> dropped a little bit. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably why I felt I it fell. I still surprised. can't
0: grasp like the amount of things you guys are doing. I thought I was busy. And then I was like, wow, there's news coming out that you're opening a bar in Louisville. And it's like, wow, what else
1: can you do? Like Physically, what can you do? I, I just don't understand it. But I love it at this point, I'm stretched too thin. There's no way I can handle anything else. I, I got to start dropping balls eventually before I pick new ones. <laughs> yeah. Up. Oh, yeah. You, you'll you end up in in a very good situation
0: the way you guys are going, man. Congratulations. Seriously.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And congratulations before we start talking about this, because there's a lot of things that you've done. And and that's really why I want to start kicking this off is, is before we get into the businesses and all the brand building and everything that you've been doing from that side Let's kind of talk about your whiskey journey. How did you get into this and, and really where was your aha moment? Great question.
0: I, I love this question because not really many people know that. First of all, I mean, I think you and I are part of what we I would call the old school of Instagram. I think I started this in 2015. Back then there might have been 60, maybe 100 accounts on Instagram about whiskey Now I think there's 60, 70,000 accounts at least, (laughs) right? true.
1: There's a new one that pops up all the time and you're kind of like, you're like, do I give him a follow
0: back? Do I not? Is that that the culture? I don't don't even know. know. And like, I'm I'm definitely old for this game. And and so like, I see this stuff and I'm like, wow, I don't know what the heck's going on. Like I went on a trip to Mexico recently with Jose Cuervo. And I got to say, I was probably the oldest guy there by like, Good 12, 13 years, dude. It was it was an <laughs> oh, no. influencer trip. Like, and I was like, why am I even here right now? This is just craziness, dude. Yeah. It, What's this Instagram dinosaur? Literally. Kid, they here. looked at me and they were like, wow, how long have you been doing this for? And I was like, next question, please. to get me out of here. Oh man. It was a great time. Everybody on the trip was fantastic, but definitely learned a lot in the sense of the different generation and the different culture and what's going on in the younger years. And it's just wild, you know, and they're drinking different things than even my generation is drinking right now. So it's kind of cool. So I started, I was in college and I had this tradition with my mom. Every time I'd come home, I'd go to the duty free and grab a bottle and thought nothing of it. And I had a I'll never forget this, I had a Macallan 18 that was something special from a duty free. And it was a hundred bucks at the time. And I just held on to it cause it looked really cool. And like 10 years later, a guy comes over to my house and he's like, wow, that's a great bottle. I'll give you 1200 bucks for it. And I was like, huh? Okay, wow. like, yeah. And then and then it happened again, three months later, guy saw a bottle, it was 500 bucks. He's like, that's awesome. I'll give you three grand for it. So I was thinking to myself, there's gotta be something here on, on this that I'm missing. And I started looking into it and sure enough, This has become not just drinks, but a commodity. And I started as a collector versus anything, which I know a lot of people hate hearing, but like, you can only do so much damage to your liver, dude. You can only (laughs) drink so many whiskeys. And I started seeing the value of these things rising rapidly. I started actually mainly in Japanese. I would say that Japanese is the reason for all of us to have the jobs that we have quite frankly if you think about it from a holistic perspective okay people don't love collections but like collections are kind of what drove this market to be the insanity that it is right now people were hunting and hunting and hunting and like you know some of the most popular bourbons as you know are ironically japanese releases from the 70s and 80s and you start to see those things come up now and like oh you're like oh the willet Lee, like i've never seen two four nine four before and that's what people are doing so like even if they don't know they're collecting they're kind of that collection mentality is what led bourbon to where it is today you know different labels cool labels and and a plethora of them now and on top of that that then changed the industry in my opinion because if you try to go in total wine and get shelf space and your product is not one of the very best you're not getting shelf space dude like there's just no shot right and i mean you know the game better than anybody you're you're in the costco game and when you see yamazaki costco that's another level of growth that's the mass audience and so i think that collections really started this and got me into where i am today so i was posting whiskeys in 2014 it was not successful so i stopped the account shut it down restarted and thought to myself okay if i can get this thing. I had a hundred followers and I was like, all right, what can we do with this thing? So I thought back then oh, I was like, oh man, if I get to a thousand followers, Lafroy might send me a free bottle and this will be the coolest thing that ever happens. Like it was so <laughs> funny, man. And then I started posting and I had a hundred followers and I had a thousand by December of 2015. My goal was a thousand followers. I had 10,000. And then back then in the Instagram game, I mean, you were amassing followers. At a very rapid pace. You were doing 600 to a thousand followers a day. Whereas now, I mean, it's more likely that you'll lose followers on a daily basis versus gain. Yeah. It's plateaued it's pretty hard. Very, hasn't. very hard. And what I saw was that I had 50,000 followers in my first year. And since then, I've literally had amassed 65,000 followers in seven following years. And I started thinking to think myself, okay, it's 2018 at this point in time. I realized Instagram was gonna just drop off a cliff and I can't rely on Instagram to be my sole source of income. So I branched out into other things. Really
1: quickly though, but what was a source of income through Instagram for you? Yeah. So at the time, first two
0: years, I made no money. Things were just really bleak, and people don't know how much I've put into this. And you know, I was living in my parents' basement and just trying to make something of this and believed in the account and Essentially, what happened was my first account ever. This is you're gonna laugh. A brand gave me $500 for 10 posts in late 2016, and I was like okay, I'm off and running. I got someone paying me. And later in 2016, LVMH had a cognac that they designed the master blender series. They designed it like a bourbon bottle and they said, you know, we'd like for you to be the face of it. And then that started to grow the business. And then finally, Glenn Livett in 2017 came around two years after I had started the account and gave me a full-time annual contract that paid the bills for me. And I was off and running. And then it was all good times, but the coolest part was I had all these rare bottles that I was able to source. I had a lot of friends going to Japan, picking up bottles of Yamazaki 25 at the time that I was able to, you know, part ways with at a significant increase versus what the retail price was. That's why I hold collections sort of so near and dear to my heart is I know these bottles and the value, and the value is what actually got me through to. Be where I am today. You know, I was able to part ways with these bottles and make a very good sum of money on top of them. And that allowed me to keep afloat until I really grew the business. And here we are today. I think one of the best things I've got is Aspen Food and Wine, obviously, is a huge win for me on a not just a personal level, but a professional level, Aspen's kind of got this coveted cachet about it. And if you're one of the panelists there, you kind of set in a lot of ways with respect to the rest of your year and people knowing who you are and wanting to work with you. It's got that popularity to it where people say, oh, that's the next up and coming guy like let's get him to do a tasting for us here or there or whatever it may be so i kind of just travel the world now doing tastings talks distillery tours and it's just been growing and growing and then i see you guys and actually this is kind of a funny story there was a guy named scotch trooper way back in the day and we never actually met we knew each other and what we were doing very well and i would say that like There was nobody really that I could take motivation from to keep me going and keep me pushing to the next level, except him. I just started thinking, you know, okay, I've got someone that's pushing with me that sees the growth in this. Back then, dude, everybody was taking whiskey as payment. And I absolutely refused to take whiskey as payment. I was getting emails saying, hey, are you interested in this bottle? Just post it for us. And as much as I appreciate that, that free bottle of whiskey is not paying my rent. And I think that's what people don't realize is like, that's what detracted so much is that 99% of people back then were just taking the bottles as payment. And I held my ground and kept growing the audience. And then when a client actually gave me the time of day to to let this thing go and do its thing, it actually worked
1: out really well. That's really cool. It's really hard to look at that because, yeah, I mean, I get to... Bottles a week as well. And I'm sure everybody everybody's listening to this, like, oh, woe is me, a bunch of free whiskey, right? But there's always strings attached, but there's always something that's kind of new to it, which we probably don't have to worry about in 2015, 2016, is that now there are a lot of guidelines that Instagram and a lot of people put into it. Is that like if you do not say, as well as I think the federal government puts this, like if you do not say that you've gotten this as a free bottle or you don't put hashtag ad in it, then you could be privy to
0: some penalties. I had a client, I was through half my contract with them and I usually work on annual contracts and they called me and they were like, Hey, we're going to need you to go back and put ad on every post over the last six months. I was like, that's a lot of posts that I'm going to have to go and do that for. It was tough, man. But I think the guidelines are really brutal for liquor. Whereas, you know, and I, I hate saying this, but like you open Instagram now and it's all sex. And that's allowed and it's totally cool on that platform. But you post a bottle and you know, I've had bottles taken down countless times and I find it to be just the craziest situation ever where liquor, which is a legal product, is getting taken down on this platform now. And I don't know what the deal is with respect to social media and bottles of liquor, but they seriously frown upon it. So it makes it really tough. And and that's where I said to myself, like, this is not a viable long-term business model to rely on someone else's platform, right? And I think you probably see the same thing with creating your own brand versus maybe doing a, a barrel pick with someone else, right? Like it's more viable if you're your own boss and you can do your own things your own way.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very tough business to get into because, I mean, on our side, we create the content for free. We try to build an audience. And then from there you go, all right, what do we do now? And once you have that audience, you do become a little more valuable in the eyes of a, of a brand and, and stuff like that. And is that what really took it from having Glenn Livet and whoever kind of look at you and go like, okay, like we should take this guy seriously. Let's not just put him on a payroll of whiskey, but let's maybe, I don't know, give him some health insurance. Like, I don't know how that worked.
0: Well, it's funny. So <laughs> it's actually a great question. I had a friend of mine that, that hired me for a tasting back in 2018 or it's 2017 now. Wow. God, I'm old, dude. I was sitting there and
1: it's only like five years ago, ago, right? Six. Six. I can't
0: believe it. So it was 2017 and a friend of mine hires me for a whiskey tasting and he says, you know, it's my 50th birthday. I would like to do something really crazy. So we pull out all the stops. We're doing all the big Japanese boys, some big scotches and a couple of big bourbons. And he's got like 50 of his friends there. It was a great time. And about a year later, he connects me with another one of his friends. And this is the craziest story. So he connects me with a rabbi who is still one of my, I say I have a rabbi on speed dial because this guy is the man. He's in New York. He's unbelievable. But what happened was this family sold their company to Larry Ellison for a half a billion dollars. And they're two Jewish gentlemen. And one of them expatriated back to Israel and left for Jewish societies $300,000 of whiskey and so the rabbi calls me wait they can do that they can just leave like literally a couple hundred thousand dollars in whiskey they just donated it to this these four Jewish foundations and they were absolutely incredible scotch bottles like things I've never seen before that would be in the multiple thousands now for each of them and this rabbi calls me and he says you know we've got this donation we want to do something with these bottles and generate more money Do you want to host a tasting with these bottles and i said yeah absolutely this is a heck of an honor would love to do it so hosted this tasting posted the placemat to my instagram and this girl reached out and sent me a dm and said i've never seen such a extraordinary tasting before do you want to write for us and i was like yeah sure who's us and she was like oh forbes and that was when i realized okay wow we've got something here so i wrote my first article for forbes in 2018 Every bottle in that article has gone up at least three to five hundred percent since, but it was about collections of luxury whiskey. And from there, things kind of grew and grew and grew. But the coolest part was probably I met a gentleman named Ray Isle who is like still to this day one of my best friends. Ray is the chief editor of Food and Wine, and he was doing things back then. like he was the first guy to interview the rock over Mana tequila. He got to do some really cool things and so this is the funniest part. I I knew him. I met him one time in 2018. I called him in 2020 during COVID, and I was like, "Hey man, you know, you think I can write for you guys at at, at Food and Wine?" And he was like, "Well, you know, what what have you done before?" And I I showed him this article from Forbes. He's like, "All right, you know, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks and we'll go from there." So he calls me back 15 minutes later, and he's like, "Are you telling me that this Mictor's 25 from 2014 is worth six thousand dollars?" And I was like. Oh, at least, man, at, at least. And he's like, at, at the, the very, very bottom, bottom of it. Man. And and he's like, I have one sitting in my basement, and I'm certain that it's not open. So I was like, there's no way this is possible. He goes to his basement, he finds a 2014 M25 Rye. And he goes, you're hired. <laughs> So I, I I write this article <laughs> two weeks later and it takes off about whiskey and then they give me another one and I it was the nine best bourbons to start your collection with and that thing went globally viral and that's when I knew I had a writing career as well and that's when everything transcended and that's food and wine, that's who is Aspen Food and Wine is the same food and wine group. And they said, you know, do you want to take your talents to the main stage which was kind of a wild offering but i host three to four panels a year at aspen which is the most out of any host which is fantastic we host three different panels where people have the ticket included in their their fee and then we have a two thousand dollar ahead dinner that we do every year that usually sells about 25 tickets and this year was no exception it's pretty killer man and i love the industry i love the people in it but mainly i love how how supportive everybody has been of me So, all the brands brought out their master distillers. And last year, when we were doing this, it was just me on a panel bringing guests up. This year, I brought everybody on stage with me and we had an open discussion and open forum. And I'll be the first to say, I love that I'm never not learning in this industry. I do not know at all by any stretch of the imagination. I probably know 10% of it. And I can only grow my knowledge by learning from the best. So we had Dan McKee from Mictors. We had Conor O'Driscoll from Heaven Hill, Owen Martin from Angel's Envy. We had Justin Naden from Stranahan's. We had absolutely everybody you can think of come up and speak with me on this panel. And for them to give me the time of day now is, is quite an honor, man.
1: That's very cool. And just to think, it all started because of a, a few Instagram posts, you know? I got another question about because you said at the very beginning you kind of got into this because of collecting. And of course you kind of saw that there's a lot of value in resale and that that kind of got to where you are. Now I kind of want to get your opinion because there's a lot of people that it's a little bit over now, but there was definitely a big flipping culture in bourbon over the past few years. And people are like, Oh, I hate flippers. Open your drink, you know, buy it and drink it, and so on and so forth. Kind of give me your, I guess you say your philosophy on this of well. I'll buy it and then do I wait and see if I'm gonna drink it or it's like the value's too good. like let's do something better with my life. Kind of what's your value on or your philosophy on all this? Yeah, this is a great question. So I think there's a few roots to this this answer.
0: One, So full transparency at this point in my career now, a lot of brands are very, very kind to me in terms of what I am gifted or or given. And a lot of that means a lot to me where I won't even, you know, I've come to a point where I'm successful enough where I can genuinely say, I don't flip. I really just have things for myself. And I want to pass them down to another generation. I'm sure there's some little bastards out there running around that are going to come to me when they're 18 saying, hey, I see you have a nice whiskey collection. I'm your son or daughter. <laughs> it's one of those things where I look around and I'm like, man, this is wild to see what I've, what I've got in my collection. I think the first time that something ever meant really a lot to me was joe malioko from michter's gifted me a 2016 oh. m10 bourbon in his office and we celebrated a little bit of our first meeting by having Mictor celebration in his office and it was kind of a aha moment where i was thinking this is crazy that i've come to a point where these aren't just your everyday regular bottles that are being given out to you for publicity sake on instagram brands really felt like, oh, Nate deserves these bottles. And, and that was such a cool situation to have happen. When I am tasting in a spirits competition, let's say IWSC, you go through about 100 spirits a day for five days, depending on what you're tasting through. That right there is 500 spirits in a week. And even if you're not swallowing, you're still absorbing through your mouth when you're when you're tasting. I probably go through two to 3,000 whiskeys a year of tasting 2 weeks ago in London a friend of mine and I were at a whiskey club and we had gone through 22 pours in an hour and a half baby pours They're baby yeah, exactly pours. let's yeah. let's just say they're baby pours right my my liver doesn't think they're baby pours but but they're baby pours <laughs> it you know it's it's funny because you can only in, in my perspective it, i think it's very different than others like you said and i really appreciate what you said you know I, that i'm i'm opening and tasting pretty crazy things you can only do so much of that, man. Like, It's not that it's redundant. It's that, one, your body can't handle it. Two, it's my living now. So I've come to understand that there's times where I, I can drink. And I know for a fact that if I don't open that bottle, I'm going to try it anyway. Let's just take uh, Michter's 25, for example. I'm fortunate enough to go to Michter's fairly often, and they'll crack open a 25, and we'll have it together. And my my philosophy on that is like, well... If I'm having a pour with some amazing people, I'm not really going to come home by myself and drink it in my kitchen at 8 p.m. You know, Definitely not an alcoholic on that front. Love working out, love sport. Really feel like my work is tasting. So when I have free time, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing for work, quite frankly. I'd rather do other things. And so just to see also the other half of what I've amassed as a collection, and I want to be able to showcase it to the world at some point in time, whether it be some sort of museum or whatever it may be. When I started this, like I was telling you before, I had a rotating amount of, let's say, seven to 10 grand of whiskey that was constantly rotating so I could pay my bills, you know? And to be able to get into the, let's say, low seven figures of collectible whiskey now, I think has been fantastic. Well, maybe not with this 40% drop in collectible whiskey right now, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, like, I was like,
1: damn, seven figures. It's, that's You're talking it's, now.
0: It's got, maybe not seven anymore, but it's been so cool. The other half is I wasn't able to afford any of this stuff when I started this. And to be able to afford it now is kind of a, a feather in my cap. And I think that that's got a lot to do with why I keep bottles around and why I, they have sentimental value to me is, Crazy as that sounds, because yeah, it's a bottle of liquor. And yeah, I've shattered bottles of liquor before that were worth a lot of money by accident. And I think it's just more of a sentimental thing. Like, for instance, I recently purchased 2494. And dude, like, if you were to tell me seven years ago that I would be able to spend $10,000 on a bottle, I would have told you you're just crazy. Like, honestly, we're
1: talking like 2494, like a Willet. Yeah. It- Yeah. Bottle or something? Okay. Yeah. Like, which
0: is Bonnelli Japan exclusive for the 1980s and 90s, I believe. And it's just such a coveted bottle. And to be able to say to myself, like, wow, I did it. I think that's probably the main thing that drives me is how do I do it again and do it again? And and so the tasting aspect is so important to me as well. And, And it was the collections that led to the tastings. When Glenn Livett hired me, they flew me out to Scotland. It was my first trip ever. And they took me to pretty much every distillery that they have in the Shivis Brothers house. And I got to learn everything there was to learn about production on that side of things. And I feel like now my palate is obviously it's up there in terms of what I do, but it's also something where you sit and say to yourself, how the hell did you get so lucky? Like I know people that do other things for a living that don't like what they do for a living. And that's pretty common, right? I mean, if, if i looking at you right now, like, look where we are. It's a Friday morning where I am. It's early afternoon where you are. And we're talking about bourbon. And we're getting paid to talk about bourbon, quite frankly. Like, it's insane, right? Like, it's amazing where, you know, I think if you're passionate enough about what you do, you know, your hobby becomes a job, then it's not even a job. And so for me, I think the tasting of everything, I can't possibly... I was saying to someone, I think I get about a thousand bottles a year and I think it's like, I'm not going to go through three bottles a day, right? Like, like, let's just be, <laughs> let's just be honest, right? Like,
1: yeah, you just said you're not an alcoholic literally, earlier, right? So Yeah, think it it, right. It. Like, man, that's a lot of bottles to go through, dude,
0: <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I think that's kind of where it, it comes from. I, I would say that I have a different view than others because of my job now, right? It's not that I'm trying to hoard or anything like that. It's just for me it's a it's a memento it shows where i came from and i i kind of want to keep that grounded value you know if that makes sense it's kind of where my my point is yeah
1: no I, I like it and while we're on the talk of secondary prices and values and stuff like that i'd love to get your opinion on and sort of like what the current state of things are because yeah we've seen some drops in values the buying isn't there is not theirs, the frenzy's kind of passed Where do you kind of see that the current market, since you're still in this stage of where you're still have a rotating collection, you're still amassing things, do you still see a big upside where things could get back to where they were a few years ago? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. From TikTok to Instagram and beyond, and get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning twenty-four-seven help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a one-dollar-per-month trial period at Shopify.com/Bourbon, all lowercase, and go to Shopify.com/Bourbon to take your retail business. To the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com. And use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Where do you kind of see that the current market, since you're still in this stage of where you still have a rotating collection, you're still amassing things, do you still see a big upside where things could get back to where they were a few years ago? Great question. So there's
0: long and short of it is no. No in one category. Everything in the mid tier has taken a huge hit, as well as the top tier. But the difference is the top tier will come back; the mid tier will not come back. I think that
1: all of these. Can things, you give us some examples? Yeah. Like what absolutely. do you What do you consider like the mid tier?
0: Yeah, like I don't know how Blanton's gold is five hundred bucks. I just I just don't understand it. And like people are willing to pay this, which is absolutely wacky. I'm I'm actually Canadian, and Blanton's is like a hundred Canadian over here. And it's 500, I've seen it everywhere in stores in Louisville and it's four or 500 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how is that even possible? It's not as if it's a limited edition for blends. They produce a shit ton of this stuff, right? I'm thinking to myself, okay, they produce this much of it. How is this happening where every single bottle from every single producer is having aftermarket value? There's no way that people are consuming that much. It's physically impossible. A limited edition run back in the day was like 160 bottles, right? Now you've got brands doing a quote-unquote limited edition run of 15,000 bottles or 30,000 bottles or whatever it may be. That cannot possibly sustain itself, right? And I think that brands are really kicking themselves right now seeing this massive decline. They've all ridden this horse to success and fame and and all this stuff to say that they're going to absolutely continue this. But now the market is just like in any even in tech, like in Facebook and Instagram, people are wise to the situation now, right? Why would you go and spend $300 on X Buffalo Trace when the same exact juice is in another bottle on Buffalo Trace? And there's all these memes out there right now about Daniel Weller, which I kind of find really hilarious to see like people just mocking what's going on out there. And I feel like a lot of brands have kind of taken consumers for a bit of a dummy in a lot of ways. And I'm not even... Calling out any brands. I'm really just saying, like, why wouldn't you ride the wave if you were a big brand and people were willing to pay an ungodly sum of money to have a bottle of whiskey, right? Like, good for the brands, man. And that keeps us in business for sure. But also, like I said, quality is there on so many levels for the price that isn't being paid. Like, you can find really good whiskey out there right now for 30 to 40 bucks still, right? Like, when we awarded what am I thinking of? 2019 World Whiskey of the Year, where Fred Minnick got so excited when we we're sitting at the table in San Francisco. Henry McKenna, 10-year. Henry McKenna, yeah.
1: That's, that's the year it blew up. That's the year it blew
0: up, right? Like For $30 for a bib, there is nothing that could beat that. It was wild. And and that was probably the most unanimous decision I've ever seen made for a bourbon to win Whiskey of the Year. And it was so funny because like Fred was like screaming at the table. He was like, "Yeah, you know it!" And then you could see him like clap his hands every time, and everybody was just howling because like he was really pulling for that bottle to win. But it was crazy it's, because it's like, like he mortgaged his house on a line or something, something, something like you know what I mean. <laughs> It's so funny to see, dude. And like, I love Fred's passion for bourbon. I think it's great. And I remember someone came to me and was like, man, Fred told me that they really like that Canadian guy. So I'll never forget that because he's so funny, man. He's just hilarious. You know, I see that and I'm like, okay, are you telling me that quality-wise for 30 bucks, you have this caliber? I feel this way. I feel very strongly about Scotch whiskey. Most of the big brands are producing at between 40 and 46% for a very high sum of money, upwards of $200 for a bottle. I think that bourbon comes in and makes a play with a cask strength whiskey at a quarter of the price and a very much a, let's just say, obviously you can't have, and I don't mean to say this rudely, the complexity of bourbon physically can't compare with the complexity of Scotch whiskey, just based on the the criteria for creating bourbon versus creating scotch whiskey. Like you only have one cask that you can use, which is an American oak cask. And now you have finished bourbons and finished rice, but like you can do any cask in any single malt, right? So you're starting your process by maturing in a sherry versus a American oak, right? So you've got a lot of variation in scotch whiskey, and then you took that sherry cask and you moved it into a port cask. then you finished it in a new American oak, right? These are all under guidelines. So the complexity just naturally is more there in Scotch whiskey. But for the price and the quality, I think Scotland has a very tough time ahead of them producing in the 40 to 46% range when you've got barrel and you've got Bardstown producing amazing stuff in the same price range or less and with cast strength value and quality to it. Nobody's really watering down their whiskey in Kentucky. I have a huge amount of admiration for what Kentucky and what America is doing right now, but I see this tapering off very quickly with all the new brands that are out there trying to compete at this crazy high price point. It just cannot sustain itself. So I think that the mid tiers would
1: sort of be like, I would say Michter's is in the top tier for sure. Obviously, Willums, especially with their celebration 10 years 20s and that's the crazy thing it like those will always hold its value exactly. because they have a mystique to them that people are really gravitational you know going towards the crazy thing is like i would Pappy, I don't understand why it does what it does. Other than it's a shelf trophy, it's a it's a status it's symbol at the end of the day. It. But in regards of like the quality, I'm not saying the, it's good quality whiskey, but right. it, not what you would call limited edition or anything like that. That any would stretch garner, of the imagination, yeah,
0: no. And that was my point was like, even Pappy, I can't see it sustaining this value other than the fact that they're the Rolex of whiskey in the marketing sense that they've made this coveted cachet. But when you think about how many other lines they do at Buffalo Trace, you know that the juice is the same at some point in time, right? So how can there possibly be this, this amount of coveted cachet for, I mean, warehouse C, okay, sure. But like, I think E.H. Taylor is going to have a hard time in certain aspects of it if it's quote unquote limited, definitely Blanton's. And it's not even to call out Buffalo Trace, it's more to just call out like, how many top lines can you have of limited coveted stuff? There's no way you can tell me that Blantons and Pappy are in the same coveted rare air, right? Like it's not possible. I think that there's brands out there. Like for instance, I think, I think a great brand is barrel barrel. Isn't trying to do something that they're not right. Everything's cast strength. First of all, apart from their limited editions, everything is at a very good price point. That's a very hard play to beat. So I just think that a lot of people say that things are limited and if you put a number on it and it's like 15,000, like like a great example is Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was wow. Like if you remember that Diageo release of Game of Thrones, that was a limited edition with no limited numbers on it. And then, but it
1: just showed up at all the
0: Costco's anyway. It showed up at Costco's anyway. At one point in time, that set was 500 bucks when it was retail. It was at 2,500 at its peak. And then they re-released it because the show was late to production. And then all of a sudden, this quote-unquote limited category became just like, all of a sudden that limited was exactly a replica of its first quote-unquote limited edition. And that was, I think, a really big miss in a lot of ways was, I don't know, it's hard to say like what brands, and I don't even want to go into brands in terms of being limited. It's, It's more like, is there a bump that's going to happen yes there is i think that there's maybe willet mictors pappy and a couple others that are going to stay in that top rare air but that's about it man i think it's all going to crash and i don't think we're going to look back at it and say oh this is going to come back i quite frankly don't the same thing can be said in scotch whiskey you know a lot of things going on in scotch whiskey right now there's particular producers that you can tell i would never use some of these big brands in some of my tastings right now because a lot of the smaller brands have way better quality like put it that way you know it's kind of a tricky situation but no i don't think it's coming back i think that bodes poorly for a lot of people who have put their eggs into some mid-tier baskets i won't say names but i think we we know of a couple brands ourselves that we can think of that are in that mid-tier trying to get to that that top tier and
1: that top rare limited air but it won't happen for them I'm sitting here looking at my collection back here. And I'm going like, all right, what do I need to unload now? Because before unload, this is published, we need—I don't need Nate to ruin the values. Of I, I
0: know, right? <laughs> and I feel like after this podcast, brands are going to look at me like, "What did you do?
1: How what did you, you, do? you <laughs> do? You killed it!"
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild, man. Like I would say that there's also opportunity for new whiskeys to come up. Ireland is going to be very valuable. Irish whiskeys are going to be hugely valuable. The quality and the price on the production in Irish whiskey is at an all-time high of very good quality. Like Middleton, anything that Middleton's producing right now, Teeling, Bushmills, they're coming out with supreme quality on these whiskeys that I still don't think are fairly valued, quite frankly. To have a 25-year Bushmills at around seven to $800, I think is a steal for what it is. It's extremely limited. And the quality is just there. So that's my play. I I'm, I was all in on bourbon before, and I was probably 95.5 bourbon for the last two years. And now I'm going to shift over in 60, 40 Irish and, and bourbon, to be honest with you. I'm kind of over Scotch whiskey, unless it's something really cool. There's a couple of places. A store just offered me a Scotch whiskey, a Springbank 30 for $5,000. I mean, that bottle was maybe 500 bucks like five years ago, right? It's not going to have that retained value at $5,000. And then someone posted it today. And I said, what'd you pay for that? And he said, 2,700. So the market right there, you're telling me that you've got it at double the price at a store. They're just all hoping that some sucker will come in and take it at that price. That happens a lot in New York, right? I think that's what happened with Pappy. Pappy's like seven thousand to ten thousand for a twenty three in New York, and there is a banker that needs to impress his boss that will go and buy it. I don't think that market will ever die, but those are one in a million hits, right? Like that's not happening on an everyday basis, you know. So it's it's tricky,
1: and they don't want to look like they they're a fool either. Absolutely, so they'll make the mistake once, but they may not do it again, especially if somebody goes, "What'd you pay for that?" And they're like, "Oh." Come on, Gary. Why would you pay that much? Seriously, <laughs> and and people get called out for it
0: all the time, right? And it's it's kind of interesting because there's things right now. And having said that, the whole top tier has shot down. I saw Mixtures twenty recently for four grand, and I was like, that is painful." At its height, you're looking at seven to eight grand, and now you're at half that. I'm thinking. I should buy that. Like, quite frankly, that's <laughs> actually not a bad price, you know? And I think those things are going to hold up. I also love, Conor O'Driscoll really said it best with, someone asked a really good question on my whiskey panel last year at Aspen. They said, you know, why can't you guys make older bourbons? And I love that question because it's a genuine question, right? I think learning about this is so great. And this is why I love learning. With Scotch whiskey, a young whiskey now in Scotch whiskey would be 18. Like genuinely very young Scotch whiskey is 18, which would be very old in bourbon, right? Oh, very yeah. It, almost like to the point where it's almost no good. Almost no good. Exactly. So Connor was telling a story of a 24-year cask that he pulled from one of the Rick Houses and he said he went to empty it and it was empty. And yep. Sounds like, about right. Sounds about right. Exactly. And you're thinking to yourself, the you know, people don't take into account first of all, corn breaks down so much easier than single malt, right? So than malted barley. So your breakdown is so much higher. Your alcohol content is very high. The heat is 10X what Scotland is, right? And it's just burning through that barrel on a daily basis. And so I think that that's one other thing that was really cool is there are 80-year-old Scotch whiskeys out there now And they're genuinely quite good but i think that's also another aspect to this is like okay if you have a 20-year mictors or a 25-year mictors those are very old and when you know that you know that they can't continue to release them a b you know that when they do release them the quantity is going to be wildly limited so that's where i think the very big play is here is the extremely limited production not the marketing capability of saying it's quote-unquote limited But when they tell you a run of barrels, and you know that that's all they could amass out of those barrels, that's coveted. You know, that's my definition right now, right? So that's where I think this is going. It's going to be this super rare air of really, really high-end stuff.
1: I love it. That's a good hot take. And while we're talking about that, I kind of want to go back to this, this sort of like middle tier sort of thing, because as mentioned before, you got your hands on a lot of different things. So I want to talk about something that you had sent me a while ago, which these beverage thing that you've gotten yourself into. And I say beverage, people that are understanding it's, it's B-E-V-R-I-D-G-E. And it's kind of what people have been wanting forever, because as somebody that owns their own brand, It's very hard to sit there. Well, A, we do 750 mLs, but see people go, well, I just want like 100 mL. I just want to get a tasting or a sample kit. And I'm like, well, I can't do that because there's so much that's involved with getting sourcing new glass, the labeling, finding space on the shelf and all this sort of stuff that it's very cost prohibitive. But you have developed something that is essentially a tasting kit of some whiskeys that you go and find and put together. So kind of talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we saw this back in COVID when people were trying to taste things at home as an in-home tasting kit without having to go to the bar. And now it's become this play where it's a gift and it's a really cool way to get people into whiskey. The nice thing is the kit has pivoted from this tasting kit to this gifting kit where people are like, oh, I, I really wanted to get into scotch or bourbon or whatever it may be. And so the kit you have in front of you, I believe, is the American Single Malt Kit, if I'm not mistaken. I got two of them. You got, got both. You got the and, the and the American World Whiskey. Whiskeys. Okay, good. Yeah, good. yeah. So we have the American Single Malt Kit, and then we have the World Whiskeys Kit. Now, the cool part was the World Whiskeys one was for you to be able to try Irish, American, Scottish, and just say like hey these are really great i think there's a canadian one in there too with part of whistle pig being canadian it was really cool to be able to say hey this is something that people can try and get into and right now at a time where tequila literally just passed bourbon and whiskey as a whole in american sales let's keep people in the loop of trying these whiskeys also a very scary thought to think that already tequila within five years surpassed sales of whiskey in america Right, so. How do we keep people intrigued and engaged in whiskey? And this was a way to do that. The kit retails for a hundred bucks at Total Wine. First of all, we were really happy to have Total Wine on board with us. But second, let's keep getting people out there and trying amazing things. You see things at a bar and maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to try it at a bar or not. Some people feel more comfortable in in this industry trying things on their own. A lot of people in this industry feel like, They are thinking that they're going to ask a stupid question or a silly question. There's nothing silly about the questions that are asked in this industry. I think it's really cool to see people learn and want to grow with it. And so that was the whole point was when you open that kit up, you go to our website and you have all these videos of master distillers talking you through what you're drinking and that was a really great thing that we tried to do here was say hey get educated by the very best people that are making these whiskeys you know we've got three SKUs of virginia distillery in there i think american single malt Has had a really rough go with trying to get approved and this was a way for people to bridge that gap and say oh wow i didn't even know american single malt was a category and so that was kind of the eye-opening thing we saw was we have an opportunity here to grow some brands and some traits of certain countries with respect to their whiskey so that's what we did it's been a blast man it's been an honest blast I think you're going to see more from us from different styles of kits as well i do think there's more to liquor than just whiskey and i'm a huge fan of all of it to be honest with you I'm, I'm a massive mezcal guy right now that's that's where my flavor palette really rolls to and goes to right now i love tequila obviously but mezcal offers you something really cool as well right so i think you're going to see more from us coming down the pipeline here with these kits
1: it's a really cool idea. That's what I remember getting it. I opened it and I'm like, shit, this is really high quality yeah. just in regards of the packaging. yeah, it's just so well done. Thank you. And so I love it. So yeah, anybody that's out there that's that's interested in, in finding it, I guess give a plug of about well, where they can find it, states and everything like yeah, that too. Yeah, absolutely. So we have it through beverage.co
0: dot co. we've also got it in total wine in in the texas area in dallas and we've got it in a couple of states in northern california and southern california so i would strongly recommend hopping into your total wine checking it out grabbing one and, and just trying to learn and educate yourself about about the whiskeys man Curious though, what's the price point on these? Yeah, so you're looking at 100 for the World Whiskey kit and 150 for the ASM kit, you know? So for 15 bucks a pour for a two ounce pour, you're kind of laughing, right? We really wanted to give people quality and quantity at the same time. And it works out. You can share the DRAMs with your friends can try things that people had no idea that were out there, you know. There's Balcones in that kit, and I love Balcones. I'm a huge fan of what they're doing, and Jared's the man, and he came in with his take on the ASM in there, and nobody knows that that Balcones does an amazing amount of different styles of liquor. So they've got their own bourbon, rye, American single malt, blended. I want to say they have a rum out now. Like, it's just wild what they're doing. But the other half is... Santa Fe Spirits is in that kit, and that's a New Mexico-based American single malt. Like, nobody knows that these producers are out there right now, right? And it's so cool to see Westland, Westward from Washington and Oregon. And then you go into Virginia and you're thinking to yourself, like, how are all these different states producing such great whiskey? And that was the whole goal, showcase all these states doing things that not many people knew about. A lot of people think that bourbon still to this day can only be produced in Kentucky. And that's just not the case, right? Like you've got some great bourbons out there from other parts of the country. And I, I think that was the whole goal was to educate people on what's being produced right now.
1: Dude, I love it. I mean, like I said, the kit's fantastic. So if you're looking for the the Father's Day, the birthday present, the Christmas gift, uh, like or just... For yourself, because you want to go and explore different things, I highly recommend it because I've I've got one here sitting in front of me and I'm going through with and I'm tasting them like, yep, these are all delicious. So, <laughs> well, actually, I kind of want to... There's no dud in the batch. Well, Nate, I do want to say thank you again for coming on the show. This was fun to be able to sit here and kind of learn about your journey. There's not a lot of people that can say that they've done what you've been able to do. You're know, stuck by your guns. You put a few posts out there and you really hustled. And I think that's one of the things that I love about it is that you can truly see passion and entrepreneurship. And it comes through at the end of the day at the products that you're making, the brands that you're promoting, and everything else that you're doing to help evolve and grow the category as a whole. So this has been a, a great treat to have you on here. That means so much to me, man. And you know, I think we've got
0: a lot to talk about offline that we can actually do together. So I'd, I'd love the opportunity to do more with you guys. I think what you're doing is motivating me to to grow and grow and grow, right? And I think that you have that motivator, and you guys are just helping each other get better. I think that's all that I can ask for. So thank you guys so much. Keep doing what you're doing, and keep producing all these crazy,
1: wild, cool ideas that are all turning to success stories. Please. Well, I appreciate it. So. Give people a plug where they can follow you, how they can find out more about what you're doing. If if you got other brands that want to get in contact with you, because hey, like this guy knows what he's talking about. How would they do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me on TikTok and Instagram at Nate Gana, N-A-T-E-G-A-N-A. Nate at single and just write to me. I always try to respond to everybody and I always try to to be friends with everybody in this industry because it's such a great industry
1: for sure well make sure you follow nate also follow bourbon pursuit wherever you get your podcasts as well as on all the socials because yeah we're on twitter and instagram and tiktok as well but with that cheers everybody we'll see you next week